Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, listeners. I'm Hallie Tecco, your host of the Heart of Healthcare podcast. Today, I'm talking to Owen Tripp, the CEO of Included Health, today's first integrated navigation and virtual care company. They deliver care virtually and connect people to in-person care when needed, all within their benefits plan. Included Health is the merger of two incredible companies, one of them, Doctor on Demand, in which I was an investor, and Grand Rounds, which Owen founded. Quick story about Owen and Grand Rounds. In my class at Columbia Business School, I have founders come in and pitch their business and students write up investment memos. Owen, do you remember doing this for me? I do. Yes. It was okay. fun. With Julia. <laughs> so Owen pitched my class in 2016 or 2017 and was the first and has been the only to get 100% yes memos. Did you know that? <laughs> I don't think I did know that. You had told me that it had gone well, but I don't think I knew that. Yeah, it was interesting because now that I've done this class for so many years, I went back and looked at the data to see if these MBAs were good at picking winners. And actually, they really are. So before Owen jumped on the healthcare bandwagon, he co-founded and grew Reputation.com into the global leader in online reputation and privacy management. And before that, he held leadership positions at eBay and Accenture. Owen got his BA with honors from Trinity College and an MBA from Stanford. He's one of the World Economic Forum Global Technology Pioneers, Goldman Sachs Top 50 Builders and Innovators, and Rock Health Most Beloved CEOs. He is also regularly voted a top CEO by employees on Glassdoor. Owen, thank you for being here. I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to be here. So you joined Digital Health a little over 10 years ago, like myself. What big question here, what do you think has changed the most in this time? The best thing that's changed is that digital health has become real healthcare. So the things that we were daydreaming about, imagining and attempting to build here in San Francisco and many places across the world moved from being these interesting toy projects to core ways that we needed to use and experience and measure and drive healthcare improvement. So that's the biggest change. Yeah. Hallie, back in the day when we were first meeting and getting to know each other, it was really a sort of small cult of people who believed this was possible. Some of us still get together for dinners. Um, I look forward to those. But now it's broadly accepted that digital transformation and modernization in healthcare is not sort of a, a fanciful idea, but it's absolutely necessary and underway. Yeah. I talk a lot about how gaslit we were in those early days. And a lot of the old guard of that time really looked at us like we were fly by night, you know, shiny new thing that would come and go. I'm curious when you were starting Grand Rounds, what sort of pushback did you get? 
Well, it's sort of fascinating that you say this because when in my last company, which you mentioned, reputation.com, so we did it, we had a consumer product and an enterprise software product. And and competition there from the incumbents was just overt, you know, you'd sort of, there would be an out and out war for advertising space for, for in the battle for ideas and, and to attract new customers. Healthcare was different. It was like there was a, I liked your term gaslighting. There was a there was a questioning of the truth. There was a questioning of whether you belong. There was a question of whether you actually could ever achieve what you intended to achieve. And so it was more subtle but more pernicious because I just felt like there was this constant questioning of what we were trying to do. And, and I'll just give you one simple example. Your listeners will probably laugh at this because this is so obvious now, but a decade <laughs> ago it was really a question, which is that you could connect an expert physician who may be 3,000 miles away from a patient to render something like a second opinion, which could produce life-saving care. Man, the subterfuge and questioning that we experienced about whether that could, was compliant, whether you would abide by patient privacy, whether you were acting within the hospital's compliance rules, all these things, none of which were really about driving better care, and it was to protect the way things had always been. Now, uh, thank God, through Included Health and many other services like ours, you can you can get access to those experts. And I would like to say the world's a better place because of that. Yeah. But I think also you coming from tech, I imagine, like myself, we didn't have MDs or other, you know, healthcare, formal healthcare education or experience. There was hesitation to collaborate with the outsiders. It's healthcare so siloed. And at the time, it really felt like it was this ivory tower of healthcare folks. And if you were outside, you were not welcome. I think that's true. And, you know, by the way, we still suffer from this today. And the mm. white coat, which I respect and all of my physician friends, and I honor the training that they put in to get where they are. The white coat, the medical language we use, the certifications, the hanging of diplomas on walls, these are not actually meant to celebrate the hard work of those people. I think these are subtle reminders that there is a, a little bit of a wall between the the person who has got all of the certification and has been, you know, lit, quite literally indoctrinated and the patient who's sitting in front of them possibly naked literally trying to get better care. And uh, we need to we need to rethink that. And I think that that exists at the industry level with mm -hmm. the insiders, but it exists in the fundamental relationship we have with our care providers too. Yeah, lots of gatekeeping happening for sure. Okay, so in this time, we've seen a lot of big tech come in to healthcare and some go out and some come in and out and in and out like Google. <laughs> right, right. I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> um, Amazon, Apple. I mean, Amazon and Apple have really just come in. They haven't They haven't really left. Um, do, okay, okay. Well, I'm, I'm curious, do you think... Big tech can really change healthcare. Here's the way I would say it now. I think great companies, and Apple and Amazon are certainly great companies, that have strategies built around a particular focus. So, for example, with Amazon, it's their customer obsession. In Apple, it's the integration of hardware and software. Those companies can and are moving forward the conversation in healthcare, importantly. And I'm really excited about that. However, healthcare is not simply a void which was just waiting for tech to fill in and solve all of its problems. 
And what I think all of those companies are realizing, and I've seen a bunch of it very much firsthand, is they need to actually become healthcare companies. They need to be in the delivery of healthcare. They need to be in the business of taking away pain and suffering. And I'm not sure if it's going to be about being a big tech company or just being a company that actually understands that that is the problem to be solved. And if one of them or more than one of them does, then then I think that's great. We certainly need all the support um, that they can offer. I don't think they've gotten that yet, which is why you've seen stub toe after stub toe. Um, yeah. Amazon reportedly spent a billion dollars on its first iterations around pharmacy and clinic. Um, the pill pack acquisition? Yeah. Well, no, yeah. not just the pill pack acquisition. I'm talking about internally they spent yeah. – and this is coming from people who work there, that money to build up early iterations of what I think now has become the Amazon Clinic. But the Amazon Clinic, why does that sit apart from One Medical, et cetera? So mm. I think we're all rooting for them because we know how good they are at working with customers. We know they're excellent at distribution. They're certainly courageous. But I think a lot of it is just understanding what core healthcare delivery ought to look like. And it's unfortunately not as simple as putting up a tile on a web page or trying to invent a device, we need things that are integrated. Yeah, we need things that are patient centered. We need things that are personalized and stay with us. Uh, and I don't think any of those companies has quite figured that out yet. Yeah, well, when I think about Apple and healthcare or or Amazon, I think about the products that they're building. Do feel like more organic, natural extensions of what they do. Whereas when I look at what Google has attempted to do over the years, it always feels kind of incongruent to their product. It feels like they're they're separately solving this problem over here, and it has nothing to do with its core competency as a company. Whereas at least with Apple, it's using these features of the iWatch or whatnot that are core to who they are, and as you said, kind of the, the hardware-software connection. So it does feel like at least with some of these efforts, and I, I would say Apple more than Amazon and Amazon more than Google, perhaps success lies in where they're coming from with their healthcare offerings. I think you nailed it. It's sort of, that's the frame that I've always applied to this, which is what is the core competency of those companies? Yeah. So the, the reason I actually am probably more bullish on Google uh, than perhaps you are at the moment okay. is because so much of what's going to need to happen in healthcare is going to be a transformation to doing things faster with more personalized data. AI is what we're all talking about. But if you just broaden the aperture a little bit, it's going to be about moving data rapidly around creating insight around a patient's situation, a doctor's practice patterns, the, the amount of money that's spending in a particular therapy. If you can understand and channel those things into action, it's going to be pretty powerful. And um, I, I do think Google will be uh, superb at that. Interesting. I, I do recall Google Health. I think that was kind of what was around when we were getting started, yes. um, where they had a partnership at the Cleveland Clinic, all the resources in the world, and it still didn't pan out. And then Box, remember Box's healthcare yeah, efforts? That was that was big. I'm not sure what I, I don't hear about that much anymore. Why is the information problem so challenging for even the best tech companies to solve? Well, because, you know, so I'm mentioning that it's an information problem in, in, in sort of response to the Google prompt, but really the way Included Health would see it, certainly the way I see it, is it's all connected. So you, you can't actually just be good at one thing. So well, let's just take an example. If you think even earlier, 
actually before you and I met, before we got into the business, some of the earliest ideas here were the the Google personal health record, which was called Google Health. It was one of their things. And Microsoft had a personal health record as well. And I think we can sit here today and say that that was a cool idea that I could carry around um, my own medical record without having to constantly call my doctor's office for it. But the problem with that and the reason those two projects ultimately failed is they didn't connect anything. So it was good to have my data. But if I was somebody who was suffering from rheumatoid arthritis, it was useful to see that you know, I had had this medical history. But what I really wanted to do was share it with my doctor, share it with my pharmacist, figure out how I was going to take action on it. And that that is sort of the, the simple but unfortunately still ignored reality of how healthcare needs to work, which is you can't just create these little towers based on competency and not connect them across the kingdom of healthcare. It has to all be integrated and connected. Otherwise, members are going to throw up their hands and quit and not yeah. get what they need. Doctors are going to burn out and quit the system. And, you know, fill in the blank, costs are going to grow by 10, 20, 30% per year. Totally yeah. unsustainable. Well, and how, how does Included Health get around that? Because you guys see people both episodically, like you could get on Doctor on Demand if you're feeling sick, right, the app. Um, but you also have folks that you work with through their benefits plans, hopefully for, you know, a long period of time. And so some some of your customers might have health information, you know, spread across different systems that you can and can't see. How are you guys kind of connecting those dots so that you're giving the best care possible? Yeah. Well, the the ambition of the business, some might call it craziness, but I, I prefer ambition, is to think through what a complete modern healthcare delivery system ought, ought to look like. And of course, that's a virtual first healthcare system, but it's also a multi-specialty, multi-platform um, healthcare delivery system. And I'll, I'll answer your question directly, but, but the way that we would think about it from a member's perspective, as we do with everything we try to tackle here, is I, as the member, don't want to have to go to five different places to figure out where I'm going to fill my prescription, how much I'm going to have to pay for care, whether my benefits plan will cover that care who I can get care from, and then, in fact, accessing that care. And so Doctor on Demand, which you've mentioned, was the important merger that we did in 2021 to bring in a lot of high-volume virtual care across everyday urgent care, primary care, behavioral health, millions and millions of visits on, on what was then, and, and I obviously still believe now, the premier video-first telehealth and primary care platform. But but that wasn't enough. We had to put it on top of navigation that would help a patient understand that, okay, you had that doctor's visit. They've told you you now need to go get labs. They've told you you now need to get a follow-up referral. How are we going to organize those things? And of course, this is what Grand Rounds did. We had studied every specialist in the country. We were uh, developing models, um, now 250 of them that are proprietary, that update physician quality scores every single day to understand and predict who's going to be the highest performance referral for a patient in a given network, given availability. And you couple those two ideas, the fact that we could help treat a patient online and then figure out where they should go next, and now you were cooking with gas. You had a form of integration that members could understand. Now, the last thing I'll say about this is we don't try to explain everything 
to the member. We don't say, hey, there used to be a seam in the sidewalk right here, but we've covered it over. We would hope you would just walk down the sidewalk because you're sick and you're worried and things are already going on in your life. We don't want you to have to think too hard about the kind of health care you're going to get because we want you devoting your resources towards getting better. We'll be right back after the break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So can you walk me through that that customer journey for someone, um, say someone who is covered by their insurer, their uh, their employer? You've heard the phrase, I'm sure, Hallie, the front door to healthcare. Yes. Okay. I don't know if you like that phrase. I don't like yeah. it. It's very silly because <laughs> there because there are lots of front doors, and too many of the front doors actually lead to these like houses that have no rooms. <laughs> So, so you walk through the front door and you're like, there's nothing here. It's a haunted house. Yeah, a ghost jumps out from the closet, uh, the ghost of the minute clinic. That about sums um, it up. The, <laughs> yeah. So, so the way we see it is it doesn't actually really matter where you start. You could be starting with a uh, routine uh, behavioral health visit because you want to get some coaching or you want to check in with your therapist. Or you could be starting because – you know, you had a, a headache or uh, a sinus infection overnight, and that might be through the urgent care. Or maybe you've already been diagnosed with something quite severe, and you're looking to get more affordable medications. And many, many use cases in between. The point is, we are there, like a doctor in your family, to pick you up from the moment you enter and figure out how you design the rest of the workflow. So that actually, from a technical perspective, means we have to have incredible modularity. It means we've got to be able to meet you with a referral when we need it. We need to meet you with an expert opinion. We need to be able to process a, a claims review if you're getting improperly billed. We need to be able to assist you with finding an expert opinion, so on and so forth. And the real way that it's designed, and I think the magic of the system, is we won't quit until you have decided – that you've gotten the answers you need, that we've reduced your pain and suffering, measured in healthy days, and that you feel more confident and secure in the path forward. This doesn't mean that we can solve every medical problem. I think we're realistic about that. But we need to at least minimize the noise associated with confusion, with cost, with therapies that don't work, with access that is challenged by months and years, by personalization problems that lead people to seeing providers that don't know anything about culturally concordant or affirmative care that, you know, leave them with a bad taste in their mouth. Those are solvable problems. And those are the problems that we really attack every day. And does virtual care for you, and I think just in general for humans, matter more or less than it did in 2020? 
Ah, 2020, you picked a yeah. pretty important year. Very in the journey specific, for virtual. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Would you like to say March 2020? Yes, yeah, April so 1st. <laughs> April 1st. So in some ways it matters more, in a lot of ways it matters less. Traditional telehealth, the sort of put a quarter in the jukebox and you get access to a doctor for 15 minutes, that's dead. I mean, it still exists, but it that is... That was an important bridge concept to the future I'm describing, but it it is not a particularly uh, sort of satisfying long-term solve for anything. But what is absolutely a permanent change, both I would say for the member and patient experience as well as for the provider experience, is that we don't need to require glass and steel and concrete buildings to drive care. We can meet the patient quite literally wherever he or she or they are. We can address the underlying concerns. We can order tests. We can get a prescription in. And we can do that and should do that very conveniently wherever you are. And sometimes that's seeing somebody just for a few minutes because you know what the problem is. And sometimes you're undergoing therapy and there's a whole integrated experience that needs to happen with mental health counseling and pharmacy management and integrated care plans. And virtual health is just moving into that space. Mm-hmm. The, the sort of last thing I'll say about this, which I, I don't think will surprise you, is that we are in this sort of weird transitional phase where we're calling it hybrid healthcare. Is this another okay. term you've heard? No, okay. I haven't. Yeah. But I mean, okay. I get well, it. <laughs> hi, hybrid healthcare is like you have an in-person place and then yeah. you have your virtual healthcare place. Yeah. Silly, right? I mean, do we call it hybrid banking that we can do online <laughs> banking and also walk into a bank? Yeah. It's, it's really sort of a goofy concept. Yeah. So the future state of healthcare delivery is going to offer both of those things. And yeah. the truly winning companies are going to know what's required for the member in which places. Yeah. Okay. Curious what you thought of the forward health cubes. I think that's what they're calling them that were shared, those renderings that were shared a few weeks ago. Did you not catch this? I caught it. Okay. Um, <laughs> You're deciding if you want to comment on it or not. No, it's I, I, I'm deciding. Is that the future? Actually, is I, the future I, these I, little kiosks that like you go in? I, I don't go in because I'm claustrophobic. That is my worst nightmare to be in one of those little cubes talking to a robot. But I'm curious if you think that is the kiosk model is is potentially in our future. I think there are some people who probably would love a kiosk experience. It doesn't sound like you're one of them and nor am I. Yeah. I think that these are all important demonstration projects to say that healthcare doesn't need to happen in that highly sterile, white, bad-smelling, tissue paper on the nasty table mm-hmm. experience. It can happen in a lot of other places. Yeah. And I think the home is going to be an important venue. I saw a pitch from a company, which I thought was quite compelling, where they were bringing healthcare into laundromats to meet members. Okay while they did their laundry because they knew they had an hour while they waited for the cycle to complete. Smart. I think these are really compelling ideas. Yeah. Healthcare can and should be wherever you need to be. It should be when you're going for a walk and you do a mental health check-in or you do a little bit of walking meditation. That's also a form of health. So we're going to get past this notion of this gigantic monolithic, you know, concrete building in the middle of a city is the only place you can get healthcare. It's not convenient. Yeah. Um, you know, and frankly, it's not a great experience for those of us who have gone through it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are, are have a lot of medical anxiety around it. 
that comes from past bad experiences. And so just being there, even if it's for something routine that isn't scary, your life isn't at risk, but you are carrying kind of the anxiety around being in a hospital or in a, a formal clinic setting. Totally. I sat at the dentist yesterday listening. I, I was getting my teeth cleaned and the, the guy next to me was losing a tooth and he was convincing the dental hygienist that she didn't need to pull it and that he would let it fall out. And she's like, you realize you'll have a gap there. And he's like, yes, but you can't pull it out. He had just so much fear. And I was just thinking, I mean, no one loves the dentist, but if you think about the biggest fears in the US, it's like spiders, public speaking, dentists, and doctors. Like people are very afraid of these things. And mm. rightfully so in a lot of cases, um, but I, I don't think we acknowledge that in the care experience. We don't acknowledge that people come to the scenario potentially with a lot of fear of potential treatment options. I agree with you. It's fear. It's a little bit of intimidation. We talked about sort of the outsiderness earlier yeah. and, and people feeling like they don't belong there. That's a problem we've spent a bunch of time working on. I also think virtual is great in democratizing the experience people get because they can mm. literally pick their favorite location to do that visit from, the place that gives them the most calm and confidence. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're claustrophobic. I don't particularly like having IVs inserted. That's a <sighs> that's a sort of yeah. irrational fear for me. And yeah. there are, nobody intends to insult a member or patient, but we've designed a factory system for how we do these things that doesn't really take into consideration personal preference. And it's mm -hmm. not that hard to meet personal preference. Yeah. So if you think about what, you know, a great technology-centered um, scaling experience allows you to do, you can pick your toggles that allow you, you know, what kind of provider do I want to see? What kind of environment do I want? How do I want? Do I want to get my prescriptions to my home or do I want to go to the pharmacy? Would I like to get a blood draw in the house versus going to a place? For me, that allows me to get a blood draw lying down yeah. versus having to go you know, sit upright in a chair. I kind of like that. And faint, yeah. <laughs> and faint, right, yeah. which nobody wants. No. Nobody wants, like, the big dude, you know, yeah. teetering over in a chair. Yeah. Like, that, that's not a win for anybody. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm optimistic about this. I'm really optimistic about the way that care delivery is going to evolve to meet lots of little ways that members um, have previously suffered. And, and I don't want to I don't want to overly promote a fantasy land here. Healthcare is still, at the end of the day, about taking away pain and suffering. So we're starting in a bad place. I don't think it needs to be delightful. I don't think it needs to be the most memorable experience uh, in a positive way. But I think it can work. I think it can be compassionate. I think it can be expert. And that's really where we're focused. Yeah. And what do you think about the movement or lack of movement of the incumbents, like the health systems, the health plans, and, you know, all, all these things you're articulating, I think, are are common thoughts. <laughs> A lot of people are frustrated with the healthcare system. Are these incumbents making the moves that they need to change? No. Because they, <laughs> That was because, a very quick answer. <laughs> yeah, no, because they don't have to. And mm. and there's really no financial incentive. And so, you know, I want to be, I'm not sure exactly when you're planning on releasing this, but of course there was news yesterday of a large merger in the in the health insurance world. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of those mergers are not about how can we better serve members or how can we better steward the financial responsibility of, of 
delivering better cost results. It's really just about market coverage and market share. And while I respect both of those companies enormously, I'm troubled by the vast majority of M&A activity that I see in the healthcare space, which is about, at the end of the day, raising prices and limiting access to therefore reduce cost. And that is true pretty much up and down. And we, I cheer on sort of my, my fellow band of innovators and, and rabble rousers who are trying to think through the experience a little bit differently. I think the good news, when, when I first met you, Grand Round sounded like a great idea. We were, I don't know, we were taking care of maybe a couple thousand patients per year. To be in one of the companies now at Included Health that is taking care of millions and millions and millions of people per year, that's really great progress. And I think we've got to root on not just this company, obviously, I, I appreciate everybody's support, but but a lot of companies like ours that have made it to that point and sort of represent a true sea change in what disruptive yeah. and innovative healthcare can look like. Okay, but you said that they only care about market coverage and market share. One could argue the same for any venture-backed startup. I want to be careful. I would say that the mergers and acquisitions that I'm seeing are designed along those lines. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of how you, if you're if you're pitching a, a move like that to a financial investor, that's what you're pitching. Yeah. That you're going you're gonna to be able to increase prices and, and reduce costs, likely through reducing access. Yeah. It is true that other thing, other forms of M&A in private companies can look like that too. But I, but I will say, and, and here I'll look at not just my company, but, but others like us. What I see there is more of a move to include additional capabilities. So instead of reducing access, we're actually thinking through, gosh, wouldn't it be neat if this you know, women's health company did not just fertility, but it did perimenopause support or family support? or counseling. And all of those things can start to come together. That's a better product. That's a better solution. And those sorts of moves, I think, are in support of a better healthcare design and and not really about yeah. just increasing prices and reducing access. Yeah. So what does it look like in a in a decade? Healthcare. I'm excited about this care delivery stuff we've been talking about, I think that's going to be radically transformed and transformed for the better. I think we're going to get more care in the home. I think we're going to have more passive data that can go from small devices uh, into places that can process and, and give us good insight on, on our healthcare. I think we have fully realized and are going to continue to embrace the notion of mental health as close to, uh, if not fully equal to physical health, which has been a long journey. Yeah. Um, but an important one. So I'm really, yeah. really optimistic about those things. Yeah. I'm less optimistic about the traditional hospital-based healthcare delivery to meet the needs of diverse populations across the United States. I think we're already seeing a lot of challenges with that. And I think that, unfortunately, that part is going to drive a cost experience for the traditional payers of healthcare that is is going to be even more problematic. And I think you're going to see more employers, my key clients, going bankrupt or going f into financial distress because they can't afford their healthcare benefits. And I'm, I'm, I'm truly troubled by that because yeah. I think it's a question of American competitiveness. Do you think we'll finally decouple insurance and employment? No. Ever? I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, we'll, <laughs> yeah. no, I don't actually. Not in 10 but years. I think, you know, so if, 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 
if Hallie uh, and Owen sort of redesigned, God, God help us all if this actually happened, but if Hallie <laughs> and Owen redesigned the U.S. system, we would never do it this way. I mean, it's no. a it's a really weird yeah. sort of um, idea that's only present in the United States. But but it's now a part of a company's identity. It's a part of a company's strategy to be attached to their benefits. It plays into how they think about their talent and their culture. I don't see that changing. I also don't think it would be affordable because the minute you do that, you would be shifting a lot more to government pay. And I, I don't mm. see a... I don't see actual political support for that idea. Yeah. But it does put small businesses at a disadvantage, right? Like it's harder for startups, for mom and pop businesses that make up a lot of the the growth and employment. Would be nice to see it happen, but I agree. I think it's it's very hard to unwind what is just a quirk of history. Like it's a weird quirk of history. <laughs> it wasn't and it really came thought through. Sort of from a good place, at least to my reading of the history, in the sense that there were some really forward-looking employers that wanted to take care of their people while they constructed dams and built railroad tracks, and it was yeah. sort of necessary. But it went too far. Yeah, uh, it was a good I- good idea over over catalyzed. Yeah. Well, there were the price the the wage caps that the government set. Right. So they couldn't. They they didn't have a lot of levers to attract employees. So adding um, healthcare as a benefit was kind of their their solution. And look where we are now. We are now. Can I say something good about employers, though? I do think that <laughs> that a lot of the, I mean, the the employers in general have a huge stake in this for all the financial reasons. But they're pushing forward a lot of the most innovative ideas about how healthcare delivery can transform. And so I am confident that yeah. the, a lot of the innovation that will be adopted broadly will will originate in the employer-sponsored yeah. care. Yeah. I mean, I, when I read that Starbucks spends more on healthcare than coffee beans, it's, kind of, it's wild. They're, they, they are healthcare companies. Every yeah. large employer that is self-insured is a, is a healthcare company. They have to be. That's and right. hopefully they have the incentives to keep people healthy um, for as, as long as possible, I think. But we do run into issues when you think about the average tenure. And if that really is truly shortening and the employers aren't able to kind of recoup the cost of their preventive measures, you know, how will they think about that in the long run? I don't know. Hopefully they'll continue to invest in the health of their employees, even if they don't see the financial gain on that for years. Well, I'll get, I, I, let me let me see the product idea with you on that. I've okay. always wanted to build this. This is a freebie for whatever entrepreneur uh, okay. who's feeling so clever. So Owen out will there. fund you if you want to do this. I will fund you. I will fund you. <laughs> I will even give you some data on how to figure it out. Um, Amazing. But we see in in our data set, we see employees that will leave, you know, a giant retailer, go to another giant retailer, then go to a package delivery company, then come back to a different retailer. And this is one of the benefits of having the type of coverage we do now over 30% of the Fortune 500 work with included health. And one of the things that's really sort of striking about that is, well, well, you're right, while the tenure at any given company and on that company's health plan, maybe four or five or six months, in total, they're at those sorts of companies for two to three years. So the product would be, well, what if you went directly to those companies and build something that allowed them to share risk portable amongst yeah. that entire hmm. population and then you would invest in things like preventative care because yeah. that's you know those types of employees also happen to be the employees that have diabetes have 
musculoskeletal problems have emerging cardiovascular issues and and absolutely prevention is well worth it in those cases. Yeah, very cool. All right, entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs, reach out to Owen if <laughs> this idea sounds interesting to you. I think there's a lot too around, so fertility benefits. Um, there's a big story that uh, I helped break. I saw in a fertility group this like pro tip that you could work at an Amazon warehouse for a single day and get on their health plan and then quit and then be on their Cobra or whatnot for the six months and get that fertility benefit from a single like day. And I, I probably by by like outing this and putting this out there on Twitter and having like the Wall Street Journal pick it up, maybe it's changed since then. But people you know, people are desperate for coverage for things that are not included in general insurance. And so there's certainly an opportunity for employers there uh, and maybe thinking about it in a way that is less easy to gamify, but certainly an opportunity. Um, that, I read that story with incredible interest because a number yeah. of our clients were mentioned in it, but I had no idea that you broke it. Um, I help, yeah, and- I, I put it on Twitter and it went <laughs> viral that I share that this was going on. <clears throat> but but fa- but think about think about the underlying dynamic that you identified there, which is that employees are so desperate that yeah. they literally job stack in order to not get more wages, not get professional development, not spend time with colleagues. No, they did it because their health benefits needed to meet some life objective, and they needed to be strategic in how they were going to do that. It's yeah. incredible and yeah. sad. It's sad. Yeah, it's it's disappointing that that's where we're at, but that is where we're at. So I have a final question and it's kind of a downer. I don't want to end on a downer, but I have a feeling that you have an uplifting story from this. You had a major health scare a few years ago. Tell us about finding out you had a brain tumor and becoming a patient after being in this space and working in healthcare, then becoming the type of person that, you know, your companies help. This is not a downer story, lady. I okay, mean, great, because I'm... I, Sad to I, hear it. Yeah, well, if if you ask my family, they'd be like, "It's a pretty good story because Dad's still here." So, <laughs> um, so, so. But you don't like IVs, happened. and I imagine there were no. lots of oh. IVs involved. D- yeah, don't even get me started. So the 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 short version is that in 2016 or thereabouts, so I'd been underway in this company for for almost a half a decade. I woke up and I sort of started to have problems hearing in my right ear. It felt like it was clogged or something like that. And over a period of months, I actually went and saw a sort of retail, you know, somewhat concierge uh, clinic here in San Francisco that 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 we're all familiar with. And and they sort of <laughs> one medical, they diag- <laughs> yeah, they diagnosed it. They diagnosed something, and they said it was a sinus infection, basically, uh, which I never had experience with sinus infections. And I was walking, I was taking a, a group of my employees out to a ball game one night, and I was sort of explaining this to them. And I also said that sort of on the right side of my face was starting to lose a little bit of sensation. They said, that's not, that's not right. You need to have this looked at, and we're going to set these appointments up for you tomorrow. We know exactly who you need to see. And, and lo and behold, you know, I went in and I had a neuro MRI, and it you know, revealed a, a, a large mass um, pressing on my brainstem. And that was a terrifying uh, set of hours and days because, um, you know, I was in my 30s and I was convinced that I was going to die. And the good news was that uh, while this case is rare and there are um, only about 10,000 cases per year, 
there were a couple of teams that could treat this and had outstanding results. And only because of my company did I even know where these places were. I would never have even heard of them before. I wouldn't have even been able to describe the specialties or subspecialties mm. attached to it. And after a 13-hour surgery and, you know, wow. a set of weeks learning to walk again and, and sort of doing all that stuff, I was good. I permanently lost hearing in my right ear. That was a big price, but not big relative to the alternatives. And um, look, I think the thing that it has given me, which I believe I always had, was empathy for every patient's experience, whether I might think it's big or small. Mm -hmm. It's what's right in front of them. It's what they have to deal with. But also understanding, and, the, and this is the optimistic part of it, when we use the healthcare system properly in the United States, it's incredible. It's, it's really incredible. We have the best surgeons. We have the best science. We have the best medicines. It's just about knowing how to get there and knowing how to use it. And um, uh, I like to yeah. – I don't actually share that story very often. In fact, most of my employees don't even know that story. But Sorry uh, for outing you. No, no, it's okay. No, it's all just the sort of, listeners are going to know. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's not, I mean, I've told the story, but it's just not stylistically who I am. But I, but I do think the important yeah. part is that I carry, I carry it with me because uh, there's a lot of work to do. And somebody out there right now is getting that same diagnosis. And um, the good news is you're going to be fine. Let's just get you to the right care. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that and all of your wisdom today, Owen. Appreciate your time. Got it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Heart of Healthcare. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. The Heart of Healthcare is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our host is Hallie Tecco. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.